Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's the Recovery Sort Of Podcast. I'm Jason, and I want stuff. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. I'm Caroline, and I am also a person in long-term recovery. And today we're exploring the idea of cravings or coping with cravings or what do you do when you want stuff really, really bad? Uh, I mean, I guess starting out, like maybe we should start with our personal understanding of where this is coming from like craving i know that's a word i think we use pretty regularly in like maybe the 12-step world but maybe that's not a word everybody's familiar with so what are we talking about when we say we had a craving is this just about like i want some heroin right now or what are you uh, thinking i always pictured cravings like stronger thoughts like for me it's more it be it's about obsessive compulsive thinking it's mm. not just like oh i want some ice cream it's like fuck i need to get some ice cream like kind of now (laughs) not later not in the future like right now i need to get this thing or have this or want it right and there's there's a little bit of longevity to that i feel like too it's not a passing thought it's like it won't leave your mind until Mm. you satisfy that craving like just that like non-stop thinking yeah obsessive yeah Mm mm-hmm I remember the craving for alcohol when I was drinking and like just being at work being like, oh my God, I can't wait till five o'clock so I could just put liquor in me, you know? Hmm. So it's interesting. Why didn't we go with the word obsession? Because it sounds like that's what we're really talking about. I think a craving usually, at least to me, has to do with wanting something to satisfy the obsession. Like I can obsess over things. But there's no easy solution. Right. Craving has an easy solution. Yeah. That's super it's a, interesting. It's for a thing. Like I'm looking for a, a substance or... Relief. A Relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So here's, here's... Okay. The definition of craving, we had a strong feeling of wanting something. I don't know if that's what we're really talking about here. The second one, a strong or uncontrollable desire. That sounds more yeah, like what we're referring more, to, yeah. I think. And then I looked up obsession. That's... Something that causes an obsession. As an obsession. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so helpful dictionary. A persistent, disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea or feeling. That's interesting. I've never thought of that. Like, huh. I thought I get obsessed over pretty reasonable shit usually. Yeah. Finances <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Weird news stories. I work my life away. <laughs> <laughs> right. Huh. So that's binge watching on Netflix. <laughs> that's an interesting take. But I, I really I think the thing that is more interesting for me is the idea that I've never really I have never considered obsession separate from the craving part of it. Like I just always assumed the problem with obsession was the fact that I thought I needed something to stop it or to quench it or to quench it or whatever. Like I've never considered obsession as like being able to be separate from that because it's uncomfortable to obsess and i'm looking to relieve myself from it somehow so that's interesting that you guys like that's different for you and your brains i guess yeah because i can obsess over things and there isn't an immediate like drive to go get something or to it's just thoughts that keep rolling around racing around in my head that i can't necessarily get rid of but okay so they're like intrusive thoughts right can be yeah don't they generally tell you to do something or that something's got to happen in order to avoid some bad outcome well they could be thoughts like over a relationship or they could be over money or they could be over like my career like oh what am i gonna do i mean doesn't mean like they don't make me immediately want to run and quit my job or immediately want to run and fire some person it'll just be like obsessive like oh we got this issue going on with this guy and it's really bugging me and blah 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 blah. i feel like mine are obsessive with the understanding or goal at least that the uh, the relief comes when I solve the problem, whatever it is. Like if it's, I'm obsessing over, should I be in this relationship or not? I'm still seeking a relief. It's just 
the solution, <laughs> the right. answer, right? So right. But I that's a little bit more, that's not something you can just action and have happen and solve the problem. Like you have to figure it out. I know. Which and is so why it's I more abstract. Myself. Right, but it, but <laughs> like I can't figure this shit out. And right, I should know. Right, right, right. But it doesn't have that quick and easy that fix. That it, there's a quick and easy fix for these cravings, which like... is the object of your craving. Hmm. That's yeah. Interesting. I think the craving part is like that obsession, but it's like I want something because it's going to make me feel better. Like it's a. I feel like I am never so when I'm in that, and I'm not saying that everybody's like this. Just share mine. Like when I'm in that, should I stay in this relationship or not? Should I leave this job or not? I am very much fucking miserable trying to solve it because there is no relief until it is fixed, right? So in my mind, I don't ever experience the feeling of obsessing about something without the thought of there's a solution for this and I just need to fucking get to it. Like I just need to keep thinking and thinking and thinking. So maybe it's not this immediate thing that I can definitely go grab off a shelf in a store or from a person on a corner or anything, but it is definitely like, I'm never ever thinking about, Oh, I'm obsessing without the idea of I'm seeking that solution or the quickest fix possible to it. So it's just, it's fascinating to me that you guys like had the craving is different because I, to me, they're very, very attached, and that just could be my own, like, constant relief seeking. I don't know. So, when you're obsessed over something like leaving the job or the relationship, do you like feel it in your body, like in your torso, like, like Sam, a craving of food? Like, I just like it's like my whole body feels that I want chocolate right now. Does that happen when you obsess over uh, like a behavior change or? In my mind, the best way I can describe it now with the words I understand is like my nervous system gets dysregulated and mm-hmm. I just get into that sympathetic reaction. And even though it's not the, the high level, I'm ready to beat somebody up or anything. It's, it's very much this irritability and agitation just through my whole day. It just feels like everything's bad. It's never going to turn out right. But it's not like passive Eeyore. It's like active frustrated Eeyore hmm. so that I mean I don't know the best thing I've figured out how to do with that is just stop thinking yeah, and I think with the craving though like I don't know that it seems like it can immediately be a re- relieved with the use or consumption of whatever that thing is you well, know? yeah, like well, that immediately yeah. fixes everything <laughs> at least that's the way it feels no like. and I, I get that so I'm just thinking back like I feel like that's why I use drugs it was like I had all the stress of solving all these fucking problems that I couldn't in the moment, and drugs gave me the relief now. And yes. I didn't have to wait till later to figure out the answers to the problems. And so when I got into recovery and I stopped using the drugs, I just ended up with the misery of not having the answer to quickly solve it. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is, I guess, unscientific, but that's, for me, like in the the recovery language would be the mental and physical aspects of the disease of addiction that's how they play out it's like the mental obsessions and then the physical dependency like those two things contribute together to make that obsessive compulsive drive to use i mean it starts with that internal whatever feeling uncomfortable feeling like i need something to make me feel better feeling like i need something to get out of the way you know get out of my feelings or my thoughts and then that rolls over to, hey, drugs will do that because they work every time. Well, I'm not, I'm not arguing. Oh, no, 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 I get it. So maybe yeah. we could uh, yeah. get back on the track of, of cravings and talking about how we wanted to talk about it. I don't want to divert us too much. I just, I thought it was interesting. I'm, I am always the guy who, when I'm miserable, I'm like, yeah, there's a solution for this somewhere. God damn it. I'm going to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so go ahead, Caroline. You had this idea for cravings. What inspired it? Maybe that'll help us all kind of get in the place. Yeah, so I mean, just kind of thinking about things that I've been experiencing recently and, and trying to um, deal with some behaviors that are that are going on in my life and feeling like it kind of, in some ways, mirrors this experience of, of cravings um, that people probably struggle with in, in earlier recovery that I know I struggled with in early recovery and just thinking it would be um, a good topic to visit because I don't think, you know, for... for a podcast that is uh, pretty focused on recovery topics, it seemed relevant and it seemed like, you know, one that we hadn't done yet. So, um, so I guess the first thing we kind of talked about is just what are those coping skills? If you, you know, from looking at this at kind of more of the traditional sense, which is probably for a lot of listeners, a substance craving, um, probably earlier in their recovery journey, what, 
what do we do? What did we do that worked for us? How did we sit through that? How did we, um, how did we not pick up when we wanted to, when everything in us was screaming to pick up? How yeah. did we? And not? I want to jump back just a, a little bit earlier in my life to say, as I got into drugs early on and I liked the feelings and liked the things that they did for me when I was a young teen, like no one in my family was telling me what to do when I wanted to use. Everyone was just telling me, don't do that. It's wrong. Just stop. But when I would get in those situations, like the overwhelming desire to use was there. And no one was giving me any information on what to, they would just say, well, just don't do it. And I would be like, I don't know how you just don't do it. Like my whole obsessive and compulsive brain is about, I don't want to feel the way that I'm feeling. I want to be high. I want to be drunk. I want to be whatever. And, you know, it just seemed like everyone would be saying, well, just stop. Just don't do that. So I didn't get any even... So I thought I was, bro I was like, oh, something must just be wrong with me. Like, I'm just fucked up. I'm just, I'm broken. Whatever, you know, that thinking was, I just thought it was me. And I was like, well, I'll never be able to not think about it or not want to do it. So there's, it's ho felt hopeless. Yeah. And I think that, that is, um, you know, as I've been thinking about this too, I think one of the things is kind of like, there's got to be some level of willingness there. I remember, um, I remember before I got clean this time, I would hear people in meetings say, like, if you want to get high, call someone. And I remember thinking, that's so dumb. <laughs> because if I want to get high, I don't want someone to talk me out of it. <laughs> right. So there has to be, like, some level. There's the desire to stay clean or sober or abstain from whatever the behavior is has to be, it has to be, like, 51% to 49% <laughs> at least or you're not going to be willing to take the actions that are suggested to help. Like there has to be some part of you that really does want to stop or not or not start, I feel like. And that's the tricky part, right? Is I mean, if we could solve how to get there, then we've solved addiction maybe. Um. <laughs> well, and I can speak at least my experience with drugs, some of the other things, not so much. But with drugs, I think it was important to get a separation of like that's why I think that 30 day rehabs and the long term rehabs are, are a big deal because there is some like separation of space and time that we need to get out of that lifestyle to get away from those people to get a change of scenery and environment that helps I mean obviously it doesn't always work but it definitely you know just that 30 60 90 days of of just not using is super I think important early on in recovery. Yeah, I agree. That was critical for me. I, I, I couldn't just stop in my environment. I had to be removed from it. I had to pump the brakes. A lot of us will have that opinion that like we had to change the environment to find some relief from the drug use, but we don't put together that maybe the drug of the environment is what's causing the drug use or a big part of what's contributing to why we're using. And maybe like, we could go about solving the problem in a different way if we could look at it that way. It can, but I think for a lot of people, and, and my experience included, is before I got in recovery, I had tried geographical changes or moving or changing scenery or, you know, yeah. moved out of my parents and went and lived with my sister. Like, I had tried right, right. some of that stuff, and it didn't, all that happened, you know, I took the problem with me to use, you know, recovery language. It's like I would find myself in the same situations in new environments, and it right, didn't matter. Right. When I was at my parents, when I was at my sister's, when I was on my own, like I just always ended up in the same spot. So just the separation from that lifestyle. And this was changing states and moving mm -hmm. different, you know, mm -hmm. from Cecil County to Baltimore City. Like it didn't matter that the change. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that makes a lot of sense from a standpoint of like, you know, changing your physical environment that you can see, taste, touch, smell and hear. Um, but maybe looking a little more at the environment of like safety around you and the connections you have in your environment and like how good do you feel interacting with the people that you interact with and those kind of things like that, that level of safety for our nervous system. And maybe if we could create that kind of like safe, secure, nurturing environment, that would probably change a lot of what we're looking at. Yeah, I think that's what any like hopefully i can't say that's what you get but hopefully that's what 
treatment centers and early recovery mm. experience are giving you is like yeah. connections to mental health resources, connections to whatever, maybe 12-step fellowships, right, connection right. to those things. Because in my life, actively using before any kind of treatment, like I just thought, oh, I want to use, so I'm going to use. Like I didn't, I didn't have any idea what to do with that. I had no idea what made me what caused that drive to use? It was just, I want to do it. So I owe it to myself to do it. Like, that's what I got to do. That's the only thing that I knew to get rid of that feeling was just to go do it. Right, right. I guess it was just coming to me like when Caroline saying, like, we don't know, we didn't know what to do. And, you know, people, if they could solve addiction and all. And I was like, I, that uh, detox rehab environment in my mind, at least I don't know how it's changed in the landscape since I've been to one, but that does not look like safety that I'm thinking of today, right? I'm thinking if we could like pluck young Billy or young Jason out of our, our active addiction, as we call it, and put us in a safe, stable household that had a family operating that looked pretty healthy and like had some pretty healthy boundaries. And like, I don't know, man, I think within three months, the, yeah, we probably stop using, lose the desire to use and find a new way to live. Not not that we could just go out after three months and be healed and recovered and grown or anything, but I think being introduced to that kind of safety over time and this different modeling and like this reparenting in a corrective way, I, I don't but how know. How do you do that? I mean, that's great, yeah. but how do you tangibly do that? Like, well, I feel like in the absence of these perfect solutions, we have these solutions that we can at least implement. They they aren't as great, but they're they're actionable. Well, it's just like everyone's treatment experience. I mean, some kids go to, let's say, foster care. Like, you're taken out of a chaotic environment and put in a foster care. And I am sure there are some amazing foster care parents that have just had bad experiences with kids that just weren't receptive to what they were trying to do. You know what I mean? That just were like, eh, fuck off. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to do whatever. I mean, because it's not, there isn't an easy one-size-fits-all solution to trauma. There isn't an easy one-size-fits-all to abuse and neglect, <laughs> you know? Like, what works for one kid isn't necessarily going to work for another. We kind of have some general ideas, but, and I think it's the same with cravings. Like, the craving and the drive to use are very personal and individual. You know, what each of us is running from or trying to escape, like, those feelings aren't the same for everybody. They're very different. Nobody said it yet, but I keep thinking about the simple people, places, and thing like that they say in the program. And my, you know, I only have one recovery experience. Um, and I just remember like I had, I did have the same environment. I, I didn't go anywhere. Like I was put right back in the same environment that cooked me into an alcoholic, I guess you could say. And, um, but I did have, I started shedding friends over time and, and places and environments. It's funny now. So I used to work on Route 40. And so, you know, that was like my commuter location. And there's so many bars like up and down Route 40. <laughs> Work on Route 40 has a very <laughs> different meaning when you live in Elkton. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Rephrase that. <laughs> no, it wasn't, wasn't that exciting. Um, but I was, um, so I ended up, when I got sober, I left that job. Now when I go to that part of Route 40, there's like, like 20 bars I used to get wasted at. And it like, it tr doesn't make me want to drink. It makes me like feel really uncomfortable. Like... But anyway, that was like eventually one of those places I had to shed off like, um, you know, like in the people, places, things. I mean, is that really simpleton thinking the people, places thing that that was like really sound advice for me in the beginning. It was like the best defense is a good offense kind of thinking, like just get rid of the environments and things where you drank. And I did. But I mean, I didn't get rid of my family or home, you know, the actual structure I live in. I, I'm still in the same place. And it's true, believe me, there's sometimes I do shudder at certain things in my neighborhood. I'm like, oh, God, like a memory that's triggered like from back in my drinking days because we have two local bars and I'm like, oof. but it's not like, you know, it's not the kind of uh, guilt that makes me want to go pick up a drink again. But So what do we do? I think we've we've talked 
a lot about what cravings are and maybe these utopian solutions, but what do we do when we actually want to pick something up to make that feeling stop? So for me, like it's been a, a long time since I've had a craving for drugs, but there can be like in different, say, like times I've tried to do different uh, healthy eating practices, like sugar is one. It's like when I'm eating sugar or getting into patterns of behavior, like I can start craving, like I want to have ice cream before bed every night. I want to have cereal before I go to bed every night and like really not knowing what to do with that. So I think finding a way to break the habits, I use the same things that were explained to me early in recovery. It's like, you know, like Jenny said, kind of change people, places and things. And in the case of like eating at night, it might not be that, but it might be getting into like a different practice. Like I'm going to eat something healthy earlier at like seven o'clock instead of waiting till I get to bed and be hungry and have that craving. Um, but changing the people, places and things, changing those patterns of behavior uh, was a big one for me too. Like that's, and something I still use now, like I still use the same shit that was explained to me early in recovery to deal with like obsessive thinking or cravings that I get now. You know what? It's funny when you brought this topic up, um, recently I had a craving for a cigarette because I used to smoke cigarettes too. Like an overwhelming, like, oh my God, I really want to smoke a cigarette. Like, so I quit smoking before I quit drinking. Thank God, because if I quit smoke, I, I probably would still be smoking if I <laughs> waited on that one. But, um, um, it was that that whole body like, oh my God, I want a cigarette. And what I had to think about was like, what do I really want? I had to think behind the craving. Um, what I really wanted was the ritual break, like sit down on the porch and chill for a minute. And so I actually gave myself that because it passes, cravings pass. And if anybody's in early recovery who gets like overcome by cravings, you gotta know, they just pass. You know, it's it's a thought. And I know you feel it in your whole body, but I guess knowing that the craving will pass, just kind of do something to distract yourself. Like when I was quitting smoking, um, smoking in the car was big. So I would, uh, one, always have something to drink, something cold and like, I don't know, sensational, like bubbly or whatever. Um, and I would sing. Like I would sing at the top of my lungs in the car just to like get me over the craving. Because it's your mouth too. You used to smoke with your mouth. So singing with your mouth like, ah! and I would sing till I was like hoarse. So that, that helped me get over smoking cigarettes. Sound um, healing. Huh? Yeah. Sound healing. Yeah. <laughs> I got an episode um, on that. Nobody else was in the car, so that was helpful. It was like commuting to and from work. I, would, I was so used to smoking cigarettes. But um, craving when I was getting over drinking, first of all, I think I had just terrified myself so much with drinking that in the first couple months, there were no cravings to drink because I was, I'd like scared myself, you know, almost to death. Um, but nowadays... If I have a craving for alcohol, it's usually after something super stressful, like taking my daughter to the doctors. Like, I mean, my daughter's disabled, and it's taking her to the doctors is kind of super stressful. And when I'm done that, that's when I want to drink. Or taking her to the dentist. Oh, my God. So what I do is I, I know it's going to pass. And so sometimes I do different things. I still go for, like, a cold drink, like a shocking drink. Um uh, and fitness, like I'll go for a walk or like go do like a vigorous yoga. Uh, I don't know what you would call that, but like something that like just kind of shakes my body up and then it passes. And I think that's that's always been my go to is like moving around. Um, you know, maybe maybe it looks like um, obsessive house cleaning, but what it really is, is just moving around, like just getting the heart rate up and moving all my limbs. And it kind of shakes the craving out of me. Yeah, I think that's a good one to exercise. And I think we probably talked a little bit about that in our exercise episode. Um, just that, you know, it can really help change your, I mean, it's like on a chemical level, it's changing the way you feel. So um, I think that can be really helpful. One thing that came up to me, Jenny, as you were talking was just like in, in early recovery. And it wasn't so much a way of dealing with the cravings in the moment, but it was something that buffered me from them when they would come up was that I had created an environment for myself where um, the consequences of using were pretty dire. So I was in a recovery house um, in early recovery. So one of the things that would help me when I would want to use was the knowledge that like, 
if I use X, Y, and Z are going to happen. I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get kicked out of this recovery house. I'm in Hartford County, Maryland with no car. I have nowhere to go. Like, and, and some of just those kind of external boundaries um, were, were helpful in kind of like just helping me to sit still through the feeling instead of actioning it because I knew, um, you know, I was about to make my life really, really difficult if I, if I picked up. Yeah. And I think the way I remember that was they would say playing the tape all the way through, you know, and, and Jenny reminded me something of this when, when I quit smoking, I had put a rubber band on my wrist. And when I would start to like have obsession to want to smoke i would snap the rubber bit band not real hard it wasn't like i was trying to torture myself but it was like the idea was like associating that thought with a negative consequence and then in recovery it's the same thing like we start to play that tape all the way through like what happens if i use what you know what i got to remember like all this negative shit's gonna come as a result of that or or most likely to come as a result of that. And I think that's really important for us to kind of think through that immediate gratification that using is going to give us most of the time. Yeah. And I, I mean, I brought it up earlier kind of in, in just a little bit, the, the idea of like, if you want to use call someone and kind of talking about how I thought that was so dumb, but I will say once I got to a point where my desire to stay clean slightly outweighed my desire to get high, Calling people certainly did help, um, you know, talking to other people in early recovery or talking to my sponsor, um, even if it was just simply the distraction to get me away from that thought for a little while, um, or if they actually had like really good advice, either way, that was that was something that was that was useful in the moment to, to get me through it. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes for me, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to call somebody and be like, hey, I'm having an obsession to use or I'm having an obsession over this or that. It's just calling someone to get to break up that pattern of obsession that's going on in my head. Um, just calling to have a conversation maybe with my sponsor or somebody else in recovery. Hey, what's going on? You guys doing anything? You know, just just to try to get out of that. I mean, nowadays I'm a little more comfortable just like if I call my sponsor and say, hey, I'm really like obsessing about this or I'm really thinking about this or, you know, I'm having a craving. I'm more comfortable with that now. But early on, you know, I might not have been. And just breaking up that thinking sometimes by reaching out to another person or calling somebody, you know, going doing something with my kids, you know, that can help as well to get out of that obsessive thinking. Listening to this podcast then just... You know, a good, good, engaging distraction. <laughs> I think the phone call too serves an underlying need is like, so I'm craving, say I'm craving alcohol, you know, what, what I'm really craving is probably nurturing some kind of sore feelings and the connection, the phone call actually, or the text or whatever serves it's just connecting to another human being. Like I agree with you too. It breaks up the thought pattern, but sometimes I just need to be seen or uh, like reach out to someone like just feel a little love for a minute and i think that's that's the value in the phone call because i did not want to call people in the beginning either and thank god i was in a i was in an outpatient group that they were like the counselor was like you have to call but everybody was like seriously you can just text me like they wanted (laughs) you know like the counselor was like you have to call each other and report back but everybody had this agreement it's fine we could just text but that worked it served you know like my need and just just reaching out and being seen just like I'm I'm hurting right now I get it man I see you like that that's all it was we didn't have to talk about the craving it was nurturing what really was hurting so if I put my Jason hat on for a moment (laughs) I like the facial expression I get when I say that Um, Jason mustache (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say that a lot of this is nervous system dysregulation. And then now I'm going to turn the floor over to Jason because I don't know what I would say beyond that. I didn't feel welcome when I had input. <laughs> I'm very sorry about that, Jason. I liked your input. Well, it's kind of why I was reluctant or hesitant to do this episode. Like, I don't want to give my theory and then hear, well, that's a utopian idea. We don't want healthy life and world. We just operate over... <laughs> This is what it sounds like to me, right? We're all using asbestos as the material we build the whole world with. 
and we're like, hey, this asbestos is causing cancer. And, and we're like, and I'm like, hey, we could probably just try to get rid of the asbestos and do something different. And we're all like, no, no, that's ridiculous. That's a utopian idea. We just got to operate within these confines of using asbestos as best we can. And I'm like, well, okay. But every time we say that, we all stop talking about fixing anything. And I don't know where to go from there. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I guess with the example that you gave about putting people that are struggling with whatever it is in a safe home family environment, I struggle to wrap my head around where are those and how are there enough of them for even a fraction of the people that need the help? Well, and and that's fair, right? And in the way it looks outside on this uh, lovely July 16th rainy morning (laughs) in Maryland, right, in 2023, there's not. And I get that. But maybe if we knew that was the solution, maybe more people would be willing to do that, right? Like, ideally... Adopt an addict. Ideally... The people that love this addict and just can't figure out what happened and went wrong could adjust their own family of origin to be that right family to live with and change and heal, you know? But even so, maybe just as a collective of humans, if we knew that the actual problem was that these people weren't loved enough and that's why they're dying in the thousands all the time, right? Would we fucking change and make that a priority instead of whatever else we do in our day? I don't know. Well, I guess a question for me would be, because I have an opinion that I think might be different or maybe not, is do you think that healthy people have cravings? Do you think that healthy, and when I say healthy, I mean like emotional people that aren't maybe even addicts that aren't, you know, that are in decent relationships with decent upbringings. I mean, nobody has a perfect life, so obviously the perfect person, you know, maybe is good. But do you think that like healthy people have cravings or obsessions for unhealthy things uh yes the 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 feeling the experience that we are talking about today i believe that happens for all people in some level of intensity depending on what we've gone through yes and maybe i guess the the way i would think of it is that healthy people or people with healthy upbringings innately have the tools what to do with that stuff whereas me with maybe not the best upbringing, doesn't have the tools to deal with that. Is that fair to say? I'll go with that. <laughs> so for someone that doesn't have a good upbringing, <laughs> what are some things we can do? And like say, that's where I get back to like, I had to learn those things from people in recovery, had to explain basic shit to me. Like, yeah. hey, it's okay to express your feelings. If you have a feeling of doing something that's maybe not that healthy, it's okay to talk about that. That doesn't make you a bad person or a horrible human being. And that's the way yeah. I felt about myself. Right, you know? right. Like, no, no. And, and I remember my first sponsor, like, I remember one time I was going through something and I used this call somebody method and it was him or whatever. And it, I felt better. I worked or whatever. And it was early on and it was amazing to me. And I called him and told him about it. No, it wasn't him I called. I guess it was somebody else. And I called him and told him about the experience. I was like, dude, you'll never believe this. I had a craving or obsession or whatever, and I called somebody, and I talked, and it went away, and it was fucking wild, and, and I was, like, happy with myself, and, like, also just amazed that that shit worked, because I didn't think it would, and he was like, it's incredible, and I was like, yeah, and he's like, no, it's incredible that it takes us so long, and we get here, and we hear this from somebody in a meeting, and we think it's all this new shit, and normal <laughs> right. people do this every day, and I was right. like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that is kind of incredible, so yeah, yeah, I get it, we don't yeah. have it, but I guess... For me, and, and you know, I, I feel like I just keep saying the same thing. And it's, it's kind of like all this is nervous system dysregulation. Everything we're calling an obsession or a compulsion or a, a craving, it's all a nervous system dysregulation based around a story in our head. And our own stories are actually the thing cueing the danger in our nervous system, which is why we can't fucking stop it. And like, what we need to do is find a way to change our entire environment that changes our internal environment to a safer one. One that's less cued, less keyed up, less ready to see the, the blowing leaf outside your house as a step 11 threat, you know, on your household invasion or something, right? It's not like setting off these red glaring fucking lights and sounds all the time. And the only way I know how to do that is to work with somebody who's got a calmer nervous system or 
be a part of a family where there's people modeling this calmer nervous system and how to do it. And like without that, I, I don't know. We're yeah. really selling ourselves short. I guess. Yeah, and that's where I think, like, and again, it's taken me however many years, 20 years to figure out, like, oh, some basic healthy living things actually help me calm my nervous, you know, things like yeah. exercise, eating better, avoiding sort of sugar and caffeine, not that I necessarily avoid caffeine, but I limit myself now more than ever because I'm aware, like, hey, if I drink seven cups of coffee in a day, like my whole nervous system and everything's ramped up to 11, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and starting to do like healthier behaviors. And now, you know, with your, like, I don't know that I have specifically what I would call cravings nowadays, whereas like, Weird thoughts, you know, what I'll say, weird thoughts, maybe unhealthy thoughts or, or a drive to do something that's probably going to cause some, you know, unmanageability in my life. And I'm not so overwhelmed by it, but I, that's because I've put some things in, in practice to avoid those situations. But early in recovery, I needed someone to give me some basic directions on, hey, call somebody. Hey, play the tape through. Hey, you know, change people, places and things. Identify your triggers like no what situations you tend to find yourself really uncomfortable or really unmanageable or really obsessive about, fucking avoid those situations. And that seemed like such uh, monumental information in the beginning that is so basic to life, you know, now. It's the kind of shit, you know, it's like, oh, duh, that seems so obvious. Right, like boundaries. Nobody ever talked to me about boundaries <laughs> until I got in right. recovery. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, like, I didn't even know the concept of it. It was like, well, it's come my way. I must have to deal with it. Nope, not always. I guess what I feel like you guys are saying, though, is like, the way I understand this is while our survival brain is, is at reactive and while our nervous system is keyed up and, and that's kind of how we're living 24 hours a day because of the stories of all the things that are never going to be right for us, right? We got that piece in our head attacking us all day long saying how we're going to fail and every way we go is going to be a bad path and there's no right answer because all of them have a drawback and all that bullshit's going on and during that, we don't have access to all of our logical brain, right? In varying levels of intensity, that gets shut down as the nervous system is trying to keep us alive because that's the only important part. And so in, in my mind, what you're saying is over the course of like 20 years, I my, finally started to calm down enough to get these concepts and be able to logically just change and shift my approach. But man, what if we could calm people down in the first fucking year? And they could start that in year two, right? Like, I, I just, I, this is available, I think. Like, it, I, we're just not doing it. We're just not looking at this. Like, when we can calm our body, all this logic shit seems easy. In fact, I don't even think we need to teach people much once they calm down. It kind of becomes intuitive, like AA says. It's amazing. Mm, I don't know about <laughs> that. I mean, yeah, I don't know about that. But I, I just... I feel like hmm. the recovery scene is moving there. So... I used to host a meeting at um, the RCA. I don't know if I'm allowed to say people's names, but um, their program there, they had a lot of those calming things like um, for, it was Equine a res therapy or yeah, yeah, like it was a residential place. You would stay like 30 or 90 days and they had, you know, all of it like uh, Meditation, like Reiki massage, and yeah. massage and like um, they had like a cafe where you could go hang out on the campus like that looked like a public cafe and um they're adopting what you're talking about. And they're, I think they're a newer treatment program. So I think the, the world of recovery is going that way. Of course, it's limited by money. That is, that's a high-end place. See, I don't, yeah. that's also, and I'm not sure. So I don't know much about RC. I'm not going to mm -hmm. sit here and try to bash them or talk good about it. I don't really know. I've never been there myself. But from people I know who have talked to me who have worked there, um, it feels like, uh, they're describing from their point of view on the job that like none of the it used to be, I guess, when I went to detox and rehab, like you weren't allowed to lay in your bed all day. You had to go to so many meetings a day and all these different programs. And that was just part of the, the you know, what you had to do there in order to stay. And like RCA had apparently switched to a completely voluntary thing where everybody could just lay in their bed all day and watch TV and play on their phone if they wanted, I guess. Or I don't know if the phone was there, but it was definitely TVs. And like 
that didn't feel it felt like they were very much isolating allowed to choose to isolate themselves and that's what most people were doing because it was too awkward to be around others and so those are, being available is awesome to come but i don't I, to me it takes that person right and that, you can't stick 40 people in a place that looks like a hospital or a prison and, and have a couple of staff members and expect that to be calming and you know, productive to reprogram their nervous systems. Like that's not what's going to do it. Now, are they petting a horse and working one-on-one with somebody who can remind them that they're good inside every time they're fucking feeling terrible? That's a really useful thing. That'd be great. Yeah. And it's just like therapists. I mean, you know, you might have to go to five therapists to find one that you really relate to that communicates in a way that's good for you, that really works for you. So like you said, to have, I think they have 80 people in that place mm-hmm. to have 80 yeah. people in that place and two therapists. Like what are the odds that that's going to be a good fit for each of them you know, yeah, so for like all of those people understaffed? I didn't know. And it's not that necessarily that it's understaffed, but it's, it's like say with most of this stuff with trauma counseling or therapy or even CBT, like the idea that a one size fits all is going to address each person's needs is just unrealistic. Um, we all come from different backgrounds and traumas and, and experiences, and I think individualized uh, treatment is really, I think, what would work better. I mean, but how do we do that on a mass scale when you have— Educate the public. And, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I don't know, that's something we were talking about at Voices, where like you're doing more of an education, the public thing, because people don't know. People just see—like, they other the people in addiction, but if they're educated on— what it really is and how to interact and treat people you know it seems like kindergarten shit like we should all know this stuff intuitively but we have so many things that have blocked it and layered it and like made it competitive and it's like oh well you're the problem so yeah. fuck you well i mean and just back to the utopian mm-hmm. ideas of stuff like i think all the time like why are we not teaching people about mental health like early on in education why are public schools not addressing like hey guess what your feelings matter it's okay to express you know thoughts and ideas and things that might be unconventional (laughs) well it's happening it's starting slowly i mean there is like they do have like a i mean a routine and relatively often like health class where they talk about feelings and how and meditation how about that do we do we mention that as a craving (laughs) block uh some way to cope with craving um but they're they are addressing it like as a legit uh, subject, I guess, in elementary schools, you know, yeah. like a facet well, and, of and growing just that up. idea. Like when I was caught, when I when I am not when I was when I am caught up in like a, a craving or whatever, like that thought feels like it's never going to go away until I use that thing. And sometimes just the awareness that you know from meditation is like, hey, this is just a thought. I don't have to act on it. It will eventually go away. This isn't going to be forever. Like. You know, just knowing that sometimes can help a little bit. And then it's like, okay, all right, I don't have to, like, stay stuck here. What can I do differently? Like, just giving myself that few minutes to not feel like, oh, my God, if I don't do this thing, you know, this is never going to go away. That's where meditation has helped me too. It like it separates it. Like it's like, oh, that's just a passing thought. Like it's often compared to a cloud in the sky, like right. passing by. <laughs> but yeah, just that knowledge and by practicing meditation, I can trust the process. It I've seen it happen. It is a cloud that just passes by, and this one's gonna pass by too. And what if what do we say, I guess, to the person where it's not passing by? Picture it as a notification on your phone from that messaging app, from that motherfucker that won't leave you alone, that you wish would stop texting you, that you're almost on the verge of blocking, right? That's what your thought is. And then swipe that bitch away. But what if you, what if you, <laughs> I what if you, what if you swipe it away 80 times an hour okay. for two days? Then you need a new technique. That's yeah. So so what do we say to I mean, do we think that that's not a thing or I mean, what do we say to the person who's tried everything that we're talking about? 
and it's just relentless. Okay, so meditation is a practice that takes time to cultivate and learn and feel good about, and I feel like most of my practice of meditation has been undoing <laughs> the way the world has helped me view myself, which is from a negative standpoint first, right? So I, I meditate, and I and I forget that I'm meditating, and I'm thinking, and I'm all out in left fucking field, and then I'm angry at myself when I remember, because I'm like, God damn it, I'm not meditating again. What the hell's wrong with me, right? And it's trying to change that over to this idea of like, every time I catch myself is a joy. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I remembered again. That's awesome. Check me out. Look at me go. I remembered five times in this three minute meditation, right? <laughs> Whatever. But before that, I think the more useful thing that people could learn probably first is an active breathing technique, right? Because an active breathing technique takes some of your mind to concentrate on the actions of the breathing and focus there, which is going to take it away from your focus elsewhere. And I think if we could convince people to do five to 10 minutes of active breathing technique when they are having any craving. And I thought of a funny one when Billy was saying, uh, you know, I can't think of many that I have today. And I was thinking, yeah, I don't, I can't think of any craving situations either, but I got one, right? The craving in an argument to respond Right. When they're saying something and you got to get that, you right. got to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That motherfucking craving's a beast. Right. Have you tried singing? Oh, oh, well, <laughs> I've tried active breathing. That's for sure. So if you want an active breathing technique, there's a really interesting one I learned. It's kind of fucking awful, but it works really well because it takes your active attention. You take a full breath all the way the motherfucking right all the way in full breath. And then you stop and then you take in a little more. And I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's a weird little process. You can get this extra little right before you blow everything out, right? And then you blow it out in a sigh really slowly, right? Do that for five to ten minutes and tell me if you're still thinking or feeling whatever the fuck you were thinking or feeling going in. Lay down in your bed and do it. Make it comfy, right? Pull the covers over. Make yourself warm and snuggled and shit. And then see how you feel. I'd be curious. And it's funny you say that about sighing just slightly different. Like I've, I've learned with when I'm feeling real anxious or have a lot of anxiety, like I actually do a thing that's like ah, heavy sigh. And yeah. I'll do that like three times because yeah. I've learned like sighing is a way of like a release of like, oh, this pent up energy. That's funny. Yeah, isn't that, that's like <laughs> science. practice in yoga yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. generally start my meditations with three deep sighs. Yeah. Because yeah. it just kind of like <laughs> compresses your body down. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I would say that's a really good way to actively take your focus away from the thing you're on, put it back on your breathing, your moment, right? Like cultivating this over time. Usually what I'm telling myself is there's a story in here that I'm talking about some other time and place. What's going on right now? What's the temperature in this room? Is there a breeze on me? Do I like it? Is it on my skin? Like I start bring, and that's what's really, really gotten me help is being here. Right here, right now, just sitting here with y'all, right? It's quiet when nobody talks. People are smiling at me. There's warm faces. Like, right here feels good, right? But when I get in the story of, like, Caroline says, oh, that's the utopia, and I'm like, oh, here we go again, right? The story, here we go again, because I have a lot of that in my history. But let me come back here. And I don't know. I don't want to keep saying it, but that's what's Well, and you bring up a good, like, not to get too off of that, but also like environments matter like if i find myself at let's say it's a wedding or a place where people are using and i've decided to be there and i start thinking oh this looks fun everybody looks like they're having a good mm -hmm. time this looks really healthy like this could be safe like i gotta get myself out of there i gotta change that situation i gotta and sometimes that's just leaving like you know for mm. my wife and i like we've had a thing where we've going to concerts or we've gone to weddings or like my family events, my family, a lot of them drink and use. And it's, we go early because we know by later people are going to start to get intoxicated and it's going to start to look fun and it's going to, you know, it's going to present a certain way, which, you know, gets me going. So we go early and leave early. Um, but giving myself an out, making it okay to be like, I don't have to be here. I don't have to stay in this situation. And that can be the same in an argument or a, a situation where I'm, you know, at work in a confrontation with somebody to say, hey, look, I got to go. We'll talk about this at another time and separating myself from that immediate emotional, you know, whatever anxiety or high. 
And and in my mind, what's happening there, like just thinking about that idea of how I can feel lonely in such a large group of people when I'm there, right? It's not about how many people are around. It's about my level of feeling safe with any one of them. And if I don't know them and they're a large crowd or, or the ones I do know are kind of busy and I can't like at a wedding, right? You get involved because you know the bride and groom, but they're fucking busy the whole time. So you're just kind of sitting there. And what I'm seeing is look at all these people out there who feel connected and safe when I'm over here feeling like I'm not good enough to be liked. I'm separate. I'm excluded. Right. So like if I can be in that environment where I have that safe one or two people or even more than that, a community of safety, I'm not going to be reaching out for this connection because I already have it. And I guess that's just just thinking about that, even with the argument idea. Right. I don't feel like I'm in a safe place, which is why I feel so much like I need to defend myself again. Whereas like one of the biggest diffusers in arguments that I use with my wife now is like when she gets a little dysregulated, I'm like, hey, you're safe here. Like, I love you and I want what's best for you, too. Right. Because it's hard to argue when somebody's telling you that. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird. So and it's just took me to a different place. Like most of the time, my desire to use now seems to come in more positive experiences, like mm -hmm. when when it looks like, like say like at a wedding where everybody looks like they're having fun and it's a good time and people are dancing like they all look like they're having fun and a great time why can't i do that healthy why do i gotta be this person Billy, that can't use that's why i'm where i'm at because <laughs> why am i not having fun right that's why i got here like <laughs> i gotta have fun too and that i don't know i don't know what all that is but yeah i'm, I'm with you and both of you came to these places not overnight this is like decades plus of reviewing your own story your own habits your own how you got here like so beating cravings part of that is knowing your knowing your own story so self-reflection is what i'm getting at i think everybody in recovery needs to spend a decent amount of time on self-reflection um you can't just like come to it nobody gets like burning bush you know like messages you just you have to work on it I'm laughing hysterically because that reminds me of uh, I just replayed our ego episode recently, mm -hmm. which is hilarious to me because it's, you know, it's so on point yeah. well, and, and, and so relatable for me, I guess, just because ego is one of those things I've used to cope with the way I feel about myself for most of my life. But like you saying that <laughs> made me think, yes, it's taken me a lot of years to get here. But God damn it, if I'd have had me with my knowledge back then teaching me, it wouldn't have taken me so long. Right? <laughs> And right. it made me, it reminded me, I thought the same thing when my mother was teaching me to drive stick. Like after I figured out how to drive it, I'm like, God, if they could have just explained it this way, I'd have had it three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. so if everybody thought like me, the world would be great. Well, well no, but I, I do think there's something to this though. Yes. Did it take me a long time to get to this understanding of myself? Yes. But I think with some, some better guide, guiding and some better questioning of me and some better exploration, I probably could have got here in much less time. I really do think that. And see, that's where I get back to the, like, this one size fits all. Like, one counselor isn't going to be the counselor to fix everybody's addiction. They could be a great counselor for certain people that have had certain experiences that can relate, that can communicate even in a certain way. But it's just, we just don't relate to each other as human beings exactly the same. Like, we're all so different. Mm -hmm. It's a journey. That's all I got. Why? Why? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? What are your craving, beaters? What, what are you like? How are you beating cravings? Oh, I don't. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, you're like 18 years without drugs, right? And alcohol. Well, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so I will say I'm very fortunate that it's been a really, really long time since I've had like a substantial craving for a substance. Um, probably. So when my husband was using and acting out like there were some periods in there where it was like things got really bad and I found myself wanting to pick up um, but that was the first time in probably like 10 years so I've been really fortunate that that's just not something that I really have to struggle with these days um, but in other areas of my life I'm doing shit at <laughs> abstaining from from cravings and and behaviors that I shouldn't be acting out on so yeah i mean I, you know this this for me was a little bit selfish too just in kind of hearing what you guys have to say and you know pulse checking it against what i have been trying and seeing if i come up with new new methods the the reason and i think that it kind of doesn't 
don't want to say it doesn't make sense to talk about Cravens, but it feels warped for me. Is that my understanding is we were we were little kids, right? You're four years old, you're six years old, you're eight years old, you're living this life. Your body is coming up with these needs. And it doesn't know how to say that you need things because we don't know what the fuck we need. We're kids, right? And our parents didn't get taught what they needed. So they don't even recognize that these things that we are, our body is saying we need, they don't know what the fuck they are. They have no clue. So our bodies are telling us we need something. We're little kids getting what we need in the ways the little kids get what they need, screaming, yelling, being angry, throwing stuff, whatever, tantrums, right? And our parents don't know how to meet those needs because they don't even know what the fuck they are. So they just start giving us what we want, right? That settles us. That brings relief in the moment. But over time, it creates a body that doesn't know how to meet its own needs except to fill it up with things at once in the moment that provide quick relief, which sounds an awful lot like fucking addiction, doesn't it? putting wants in place where our body is calling for needs because we don't know what the needs are. And so in my mind, like what we got to do is understand that that's what's happening. Understand that this craving, but you can't understand logically why your nervous system is still fucking escalated. So somehow we got to calm that down and then logically get to this place where we feel safe enough, often enough that we can say, I don't want to put the need, I mean the wants in front of the needs. I need to stop giving myself these wants that give me short-term relief but ultimately aren't benefiting me, that thing we call instant gratification, right? And I need to stop long enough to realize what it is my body needs. Maybe I don't need to argue with my spouse tonight to go through this long argument to get a hug at the end when we make up. Maybe I can just tell them I got a need for intimate touch and I need to hug them more, right? Like we got to start learning these things. And then from there, once you know that, you don't want to do that anymore. I see what I'm doing now. I don't want to do that. I want to nurture my body. What does it need? Because the question we keep not asking is, why the fuck are we craving things in the first place? What's missing that we need, we have this feeling of, I need to go grab these things for this relief. Why aren't we already okay? And that's, I think, why. I agree with all that, but I just, I guess I don't know when you're in the process of trying to get from knowing that, you have some needs that you're not sure of what they are and figuring out what those needs are, we're going to be in a place of having, like we're going to want to resort back to the old thing that like, I know this works. Like, I don't know what else is going to fix this, but I definitely know this at least for now works. And what do we do in that interim period? Like you had mentioned like some breathing and stuff like that, but it's like, what do we do in that interim Because it's taken me almost my whole life to figure out, like, oh, fuck, this is why I have these issues, you know, from my childhood. This is why I have these um, maybe issues of abandonment, neglect, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know. But it's taken a lot of work to get there. And in that process, I've made a lot of mistakes and reacted on some, Mm -hmm. you know, cravings and impulsive thinking. Not, you know, because it just took the work to get there. Right. So in my mind, in that moment, when the nervous system is dysregulated, telling you, you need that shit now to live, because that's what's happening, survival, right? That's the problem, right? It's not all the slightly calmer moments in between those cravings that you're really desperate to use. That's not really the issue in that moment. It's the, the moments that would actually take you to doing the thing. And then that point, the only thing we really can do is just calm our body down. You got to get your logic back online to do anything. But I'm saying once we can establish that we have control of that dysregulation and we know exactly what the fuck to do and generally as long unless it's a huge one, it only takes us 10 minutes and we're confident in that, that feels safe. I now feel confident that I can nurture my body and I don't have to be that inner child doesn't have to be as scared anymore. Right. Because I'm the adult showing up to take care of it. And from there, when I say intuitively, we'll figure it out or we'll know, it's because once all the, the bullshit is out of the way that keeps making our good plans not work, our fucking good plans will work. They actually will. We'll be able to follow through with all those great intentions we had that we couldn't understand why we kept getting deviated. And like when things don't work, we'll have the logic online and we'll just adapt and change it and make it work because it's way fucking easier when you're not dysregulated all the time. That's, I just, I think it'll work. 
So I don't know that there is a like a middle step. It's mostly just if you can believe. I think most people are always in the middle step. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I guess. But it's like if you can believe that this is what's going on, then you can understand how you can tend to yourself. And then from there, it's just, okay, well, maybe I can do some research. I'll Google what are the fucking needs. What, pe- what do people need? I don't know. We're only told about, like, food and shelter and shit and safety, right? But what about, like emotional safety what about like right that's the you know that's intimate support what about intimate touch like all these other things and there's probably a list of like 30 of them i don't know what the fuck they are <laughs> like but we start investigating and start just giving myself something what works for most humans right a lot of people when they can't get a hug from somebody else wrap themselves in a blanket and drink a warm tea or something simulate it you know and maybe like, that's why some of that recovery type stuff works because you're going to a community of like-minded yeah. people that help you feel supported you you know in our fellowship you're getting a hug you're you know having someone that says yeah i know how you feel it's okay you know that kind of support and nurturing like you you can get that in those environments yes. for some people yeah not maybe i think definitely like you preface that with maybe but i'm like that, that's huge i think that's a big part of it and jason you use the word intuitively like in what you're talking about and i think that's a part too like the clues are there if you can slow down enough the intuitive clues will tell you where to go to get what you need you just got to slow down and and be open to them and look for them i think i think a lot of us in addiction got so far from our natural intuitive abilities maybe they should start teaching that in elementary school i think i think intuition personally is what our dna code is actually telling us to do because animals out in the wild don't ever question how to hunt or what they they just they're born and they know and like we're born and we know some shit too that's good for us and how to live but none of it generally matches the way we're living in 2023 Mm -hmm. in our heads oh and i don't know how it connects to like i've always thought of myself and i maybe i'm different maybe i'm not but i have like an obsessive brain like i obsess about a lot of things not always bad stuff it can be sports it can Mm -hmm. be you know healthy stuff it can be the gym diet whatever and i'll like start oh i'm gonna learn about this new diet and then all of a sudden it's like i'm reading everything i'm watching 27 videos i'm trying to like you know and it just becomes this weird obsession right and i i mean i don't know i've never thought of that as like my nervous system is dysregulated i just think well that's the way my brain works and it's like the meditation Mm -hmm. part and the breathing part is what's helped me manage those aspects of my obsession i feel like it's the ultimate buddhist question what happens if you don't do that (laughs) right what happens if you have that feeling of wanting to be into that thing and don't read the 27 articles then what happens that's where the curiosity starts right that's where the self-exploration of like what the underlying thing is that drives this behavior comes from because if we don't do it long enough we'll either put something in its place to cover it up or it'll come the fuck up (laughs) But like, that's the thing we're using to cope with it. So I, I don't know. I guess I look at it differently. I look at that as not that there's something wrong with you, but just that's how you've established how to get through your life. And if you want to stop that, stop and see what happens. Yeah. And, and I guess comfort in yourself I, I while come you do to that it, by saying, I guess for me, sometimes digging into the why isn't as helpful as figuring out just what to do with this when it's happening. Yeah. I, and, and I, I can deal with the why I'm doing it when I'm in a healthier state, you know, right, like when right. I'm in a better place, I can start looking a little deeper. But in the moment, I got to figure out what the fuck to do with that. I, I think for me, it was just really important that I address the fact that I believed all my thinking was really important. And I actually had to like take that out of my head and like reprogram because like there would be times my kids are talking and I'm like mad because they're distracting me from the thoughts in my head that I think are way more important. Like, figuring out what I got to do with my rest of my day or reminding myself I got to run to the store or what. And like, I had to remind, like, all this is dumb bullshit. What is my kid saying, man? Tell me about that fucking Roblox game that I give a fuck less about. Come on, let me hear about it. And I want to listen. Like, and I agree. I feel like it just took me years of meditation to try to get there. (laughs) Well, I didn't get here overnight. That's for fucking sure. Um, I heard this one recently. I heard that. And I'm not saying I believe it, but I've been toying around with it in my head. Anxiety is an addiction to mental stimulation. And so we've mentioned before, we've mentioned before that me and you, Billy, are the anxious ones on the show. And I can tend to obsess too. It's actually, I love that about you. Like, I'm like, oh, what's Billy obsessing over now? I think it's a really cool personality trait. Um, 
but and I see it in myself like recently uh like I had plenty to do plenty of household responsibilities summer's here both my kids need to be like whatever entertain but yet I'm obsessing over this news story I saw you know like what am I doing it was like kind of an escapist thing I was like is this an addiction is my am I escaping responsibilities with a mental stimulation addiction you know because mm. I was filling my time with uh podcasts and uh, documentary and reading article and audiobook and like <laughs> mm. Mm. so well i look at it as like i crave knowledge so but that can be an obsession in and of itself and when i'm spending all that energy there i'm also neglecting energy to spend in other places and that might be my relationship my family more important things than learning all about the injustices of the criminal justice system <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I think of anxiety as trying to figure out how I'm going to possibly get through intolerable future and past situations in my life <laughs> that I mm. don't understand, the that I don't currently have the ability to get through, which is every fucking future and past situation <laughs> mm -hmm. right now because I can't do them right now. So it's just like this, it's almost like I can protect myself now because you can't hurt me if I'm figuring out how to keep you from hurting me three weeks from now. Yeah. Well, like I said, I've been trying this out. So anytime I felt anxious, if I think about it as like, Jenny, are you addicted to mental stimulation? You know, do you really need to be obsessing over this right now? And I put it aside like anytime. I'm, so I'm just testing it out, like test driving it, see if I like it. I don't know. We're about at time. Anybody got more coping, craving, obsession thoughts? No, I think there's some things you can do in the immediate moment when you have cravings. I would say call somebody, breathing exercises, play the tape through, and then there's some things you can do that will help in the long term, like exercise, better diet, maybe counseling, mental health therapy, meetings, you know, whatever's going to help you put yourself in a good situation to have supports and, and people around that will be there for you when you need it. What did he say? Yeah, good. yeah. And I mean... I like I put a routine in place to prevent the cravings from coming and that, that way you'll be ready to do battle when it's time. Yeah, I would just move exercise over to the immediate things that you can do in the immediate moment. I think mm. it's good for both, but it definitely can be one that can help you. Also, practice sitting with the feeling of want. Like totally. I do that from time to time. I'm like, mm -hmm. what's it like yeah. to experience the feeling of want? Yeah, and I guess that's I lumped cool. that into the meditation part. Yeah, but yes, yeah. that's that's part of it. I'm like, oh, yeah. I want ice cream tonight. Mm, what's it like to want ice cream? Totally. <laughs> Feels interesting <laughs> to mm -hmm. fantasize right. about, right? Um, I'm gonna title this Craving, comma, obsession, comma, coping, comma, killing it. <laughs> and it's gonna spell out cock. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. Have a good week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>